The scripture that we're looking at today is in Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 11 through 19, and we're reading out of the Message Bible. I didn't know what to entitle this sermon. Uh, one of the things was I was thinking of a football term, intentional grounding, uh, and uh, I'll explain that a little bit. Intentional grounding is one of those, uh, the quarterback has the ball, and if he drops back between the tackles, you know, there's the center of the guard and the tackles, and if he drops back between that imaginary line and he throws the ball out of bounds or throws because he's going to be, you know, tackled for a loss, and he throws it down, it's intentional grounding, and they lose the down and they lose the yardage and all that kind of stuff. But if he moves beyond that imaginary line and he throws, it throws the ball out of bounds or whatever, it's okay. So intentional grounding is that your, his intention was to ditch it before he gets in trouble, okay? But he didn't get to the right place of throwing it out of bounds. So well, maybe you'll understand it, maybe you won't. Maybe I'll change the title a little later. I have no idea, but I just was thinking of it because in this particular place, we have the ten lepers, and the ten lepers... Um, well, we'll just read the scripture and find out what happens. It happened that as he made his way toward Jerusalem, and this is Jesus, he crossed over the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men, all lepers, met him. They kept their distance but raised their voices, calling out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Taking a good look at them, Jesus said, Go, show yourself to the priest. They went and while still on their way, became clean. One of them, when he realized that he was healed, turned around and came back, shouting his gratitude, glorifying God. He kneeled at Jesus' feet, was so grateful. He couldn't thank him enough, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus said, were not ten healed? Where are the nine? Can none be found to come back and give God glory to God? Except this outsider. Then he said to him, Get up on your way, your faith has healed and saved you. Now we have here this account of the ten lepers, and it is the only time it is recorded in Scripture is here in, in, in Luke's Gospel. Now, Luke is the physician, he's a doctor of his time, and this particular story must have really moved. Luke more than you know any of the other three writers because he sees it from a perhaps a medical perspective but he also sees it from a perspective of the the individuals and how a people respond to certain situations and how that responding to a particular blessing can be something that is very important to what really takes us further than the present blessing. So here we have 10 people made well, one returns. So the intentional grounding <laughs> is that these individuals, and I look at the nine who didn't return, as individuals who failed in their task. They failed in their task to give thanks to God, and they, they, they gave up, they gave up their, the ball, they gave up the, the uh, situation too quickly, and they could have made something more out of it with just a little more effort. But one of the things as we look at this, leprosy. Now, 
we're not too familiar with this particular disease, but it is, a, it is a horrible disease in which people, and it's still in some countries today, and what happens is that there's a deadening of the nerves, and so you can't tell, like if you slammed your hand in the door, you couldn't tell. The, the nerves are gone, and then if the bruising, and the bruising doesn't heal, and it just continues to work on a person's life so that the extremities, their fingers and, and toes and everything start to fall off. And so it's a, it's a very um, debilitating disease and one in which people looked at as a curse from God. So when people looked at leprosy, they saw this as a punishment from God for some sin and it was a, it was a mark of God's really, if God was really displeased with you, you were going to get leprosy, Okay. So they saw this as the worst of sinners would get this particular disease. The problem with this is it's an assumption. It's an assumption based upon a wrong, a wrong premise. And sometimes we are intentionally grounding the ball when we don't have a problem. Sometimes we, through the wrong assumption, are giving up too quickly on what God wants to do in our life because we are wrongfully assuming a particular thought. In this case, God is now punishing me because of some sin in my life, present or past, and this is why something bad has happened. And often we try to find meaning for bad things happening to good people. We try to find meaning or some reason that things happen. You know, we look at our situation and, you know, and some things, you know, if you step out in front of a car because you're not paying attention, it's not God's fault. <laughs> you weren't paying attention. And anybody ever step off of something that wasn't a step off? <laughs> or stepped out on, it wasn't the last step and you went down? <laughs> now, is that God's fault? Or just not paying attention? So we find that there are assumptions that we have, and especially in the Jewish culture, there was assumptions about illnesses and, and pe why people were sick. And they would look at their um, disease, they would look at their sickness, and believe that God was punishing them. And they had this assumption, and especially in, you know, even in Job's time, I'm reading about, here about Job, but Israel thought that God gave both good and evil. So good and evil came into your life solely by God himself and that there was no evil one with evil intents. So here's Job. In Job chapter 19, um, Job is speaking to his friends. Okay, in Job chapter 19, he's speaking to his friends. And he says, Oh friends, dear friends, take pity on me. God has come down hard on me. Do you have to be hard on me too? So Job is under the assumption that God is doing this to him. And his friends, believe me, if you have comforters like Job's friends, don't talk to them. Let them go, okay? Just let them go. If there are people who are just, you know, you better straighten up your life because look at all the bad things happening to your life. You've got to be a really bad person and you're just no good. Those people, you let them go. I, I, this is a story I, is, this story I use. Is it hot in here? Open the window. I'm hot. 
but I'm always hot. So anyhow, especially when I'm speaking. Um, there's a story I remember when uh, I use in all my uh, support groups and things when I start talking to people about, you know, about grief and loss, and they're, they're, they're having problems dealing with people, stupid people. And uh, I remember one time uh, we had this couple in our church. They, this is way back, way back, many years ago. So it wasn't here, so don't think, who is he talking about? <laughs> it isn't here. This couple came to our door, and they were backwoodsy people, okay? And they were cleaning out their freezer, and at the bottom of their freezer, they found this package. And they said, Pastor, we don't know if it's chicken or it's groundhog, but we want you to have it. So, being the nice, kind, congenial people that we are, thank you. Now, I wasn't going to eat it, but I knew what I was going to do with it. I was going to give it to the dog, okay, neighbor's dog. Maybe he would die, not my dog, because I didn't have a dog. Anyhow... So I took it, and, and I wasn't going to offend them. You know, I wasn't going to tell them, if you won't eat it, what do you think I'm going to eat it for? You know, I wasn't going to do that. But they, they couldn't, fe- they probably didn't want to throw it out, so they had to give it to somebody. Might as well give it to the preacher. You know, he's always needs food. He looks like he's starving. So anyhow, I was going to, and I always use this illustration that it's called the stupid pile. That people will give you information that makes absolutely no sense They themselves would never do it. They themselves would never wear it. They themselves would never be a part of it, but they want to give it to you. So you just take that and say, thank you very much, and I know what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to put it in a stupid pile. So you don't have to wear it. You don't have to to, uh, adhere to it. So this is Job's friends. They're giving Job a lot of stupid advice based upon a wrong assumption. What is the assumption? God is punishing Job. Why? Because he's lost everything. He's lost his family, his children, he's lost his house, he's lost his wealth, he's lost his camels, he's lost his herds, he's lost everything, and it's all gone, and now he is sick. Okay? He goes on. Um, So don't be hard on me, too. He's asking his friends, please don't be so hard on me. If only my words were written in a book, better yet chiseled in stone. I wish everybody could know how I think about this. Still I know that God lives and one who gives me back life and eventually he'll take his stand on the earth. So Job is the first one to recognize there is a resurrection. In the King James it says um, that in the end my Redeemer liveth and at the end of the days he he shall stand upon the earth. And eventually he'll stand on it and I'll see him even though I get skinned alive. Now we think, well, Job being skinned alive. What's going on with Job? Job has these sores all over his body, and he's using a broken pitcher to scrape them. Okay, he's scraping his sores and the the oozing junk out of his sores. He's taking this broken pitcher of glass and scraping his sores, and he says, even though I get skinned alive, this isn't just a metaphor, this is... This is something going on in his life. He doesn't have Sav and and the home care nurse coming to see him. (laughs) He has only his friends in a pot, a pot, a piece of broken pottery that he's using to scrape his sores and scrape his skin. And even if I get skinned alive, I will see God myself with my own eyes. I'm going to see him. So Job is saying, I may get skinned alive and die. In the old, in the King James, it says, though my body be consumed basically by the worms of the earth, that. In, that in the end of the time, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to see God and I'm going to see with my own eyes. 
Okay? So Job has great faith in this whole situation. Then he, verse 28 and 29, he addresses his friends. If you're thinking, okay, he's telling them what they're thinking because they've already indicated it. How can we get through to him? How can they get through to Job to see that his trouble is all his own fault? Forget it. He's telling these guys, don't, don't think that you're going to convince me this is all my doing. Start worrying about yourself. Worry about your own sins and God's coming judgment, for judgment is most certainly on its way. So, you think that his friends would listen to what he has to say. Verse, chapter 20, verse 1. Zophar, from Namath, uh, again took his turn. And this is Job's friend. I can't believe what I'm hearing. You've put my teeth on edge. My stomach is in a knot. How dare you insult my intelligence like this? Well, here's a piece of my mind. This is where Job should have interrupted him and says, Excuse me, don't give me a piece of my mind. Don't give me a piece of your mind. You don't have enough to share. That's an insult. That's a sarcastic remark. Verse 4. <laughs> What's he say? Don't you even know the basics? How things have been since the earliest of days when Adam and Eve were first placed on the earth. The good times of the wicked are short-lived. Godless joy is only momentary. The evil might become world-famous, strutting to the head of a celebrity parade. But still in the end, they end up in a pile of dung. Job, you're it. <laughs> so, I use this because what is the, this, is the, this is the thought that was part of Job's culture, and it is still the thought that is part of the culture at the time of Jesus. The lepers believed that they were being punished by God and that this, this problem they had, no, not the lepers, maybe the lepers didn't believe it, but everybody else believed that, the, that leprosy was a curse from God and these people were being punished for some sin. I'm sure that the ten lepers have... Uh, most likely thought like Job, we didn't do anything that deserves this. But everybody else had that assumption they must have some secret sin somewhere. So, what happens? Jesus searches out the ten lepers. He was on his way to Jerusalem and he is traveling the road between Samaria and Galilee and it was here he is about to enter a town that the ten lepers spoke up. So these ten lepers, they cannot come to where Jesus is because there's restrictions on where they can travel and that they cannot be in crowds because they're not allowed to be around people. So they are ostracized, they're cut off from society, and the only way they, they eat and make a living is some of their families would take food somewhere and let it for them, and then they would pick it up and eat it and things like that. So there was these ten guys who were together. They had found a common bond, leprosy, and they were doing their thing together. So Jesus went to meet them. See, God has a way of working things into our life. Showing up at certain places, certain intersections, certain places and times of our life, he shows up there. 
And how did he know? How did this happen? Did you ever meet people at certain places, certain times? It's like, wow, it's funny. I was just thinking about you, Trevises. <laughs> we were just thinking about you last week. And we talked about you in a good way. <laughs> Beulah Land and their daughters. And we were talking about them. And then they show up. Wow, what a coincidence. Coincidence? What divine timing. What divine timing. So Jesus is here, and they show up. So what do you think the, ten, the lepers would talk about, the, these ten guys together? What do you think they would talk about? Things can't get any worse. I mean, we're at the lowest point of our life. I don't deserve this. I didn't do anything that should bring this on. Uh, maybe they're dead men walking. <laughs> I'm sure that they may have some of these thoughts, but maybe they had other dreams. Maybe they thought that one day they would be well again. And this, at that time, would be totally unheard of. Maybe leprosy would go into remission, or something would happen that they would be well, or they were misdiagnosed or something. But there was no medicine, there was no cure. But perhaps they had hope inside of them because they were looking for Jesus. And then we come back to ourselves, what do we dream of? What do we have in our heart that causes us to go forward in our dreams for tomorrow, and our hopes for tomorrow? And they may seem completely out of touch of where we can be and what we could do in our natural. But you see, sometimes it's like this, that we are, we are in an isolated place and that we are in a, in a place where things would dictate to us a whole different end, a leprosy and death and separation. And Jesus walks by and suddenly inside of us there is hope for the dreams that we thought were impossible. And see, faith is a substance. Talked about this in our Sunday school lesson. It's, it's, it's an underlying foundation. It is a title deed to something that we are going to go and possess. Seems like me, I always like to talk about John Deere tractors and cars and stuff, you know, things like that. But you can imagine having a title deed to a car that you bought, you purchased, bought, purchased for you, and somebody gives you the title deed, and you go to the dealership and say, here's the title and the deed to that car. I want to pick it up. It's totally paid for. Well, in our faith and in our prayers, it's like God is giving us a deed, a title, faith, to pray for something that is not really in our possession, but we can go pick it up by faith. And by faith, it is brought into our life. It is, it is substance, it is evidence, it is very real. And so here are these people, these ten, and they have a dream, and they have an idea that maybe someday they could be well, because if they had no dream, they would have never asked. See, when we have a dream and we have faith, we ask, we pursue, we go after that's belief. These ten only had faith and belief in Christ because they went after him, they pursued him, and they kept their distance, but they raised their voice and called out. They raised their voice and they called out. 
Hmm, imagine that. It's a shared dream. It's a shared dream. They're speaking to Jesus. You know, as a congregation, we have dreams you know, of what God will do in our community and in our church. We have a lot across the street that we're all going to pray about. We have people that we look around and are not here and we're concerned about, we pray for, shared dreams. Then we have individual expectations. We have individual things going on in our life that we pray about, that we are in motion towards. But see, these 12 may have shared their dreams with each other that one day they will be well again. One day they will be with their families again. One day they'll be able to walk among people and not have to cry out, unclean, unclean. And that people won't look at them and say, you're cursed by God. You must have done something really bad. And they're like, what did I do? <laughs> so traveling as a group, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When Jesus taught us to pray, what did he say? Our Father, ours. Jesus is sharing with us the expectation that we are in this together. Bear one another's burdens. Pray for one another. <laughs> so this shared prayer and shared expectation, more importantly, is the understanding that Jesus is here. He's here with us. He's here. Jesus is with us. You, there's, the scriptures tell us that you cannot, you cannot escape the presence of God. You cannot escape the presence of God. If you take the wings of the morning and travel at the speed of light and go to the furthest parts of the world, you can't get out of God's presence. <laughs> okay? There's no way out. There's no way away from the presence. You, you're in the presence of God. So, Jesus is here. Shared prayer. Pray with one another. Shared expectation. Shared expectation. A dream, a belief. Verse 14. Jesus, taking a good look at them, he said, so taking a good look at them at a distance, he says, go show yourself to the priest. There's no great prayer. You know, there's none of the, you know, there's no spitting on the ground, putting mud in her eyes, <laughs> dirt in her eyes. There's no laying hands on, there's just, go show yourself to the priest. Now, this was a requirement because the priest was the judge. He had the final say. And so they would naturally think that this is a curse from God because the guy who who excommunicates you from, the, from everybody is the priest, and the guy who says you can get back in communication with the, priests, uh, with the people and be around people is the priest of the temple. And so they are to go and show themselves to the priest, and the priest would be the judge of their leprosy. And the one who had sent them into exile must be the one who would declare them capable of going back around people. So the priest represents God. Now, as we look at these ten... What was their great act of faith? What was the great act of faith that these ten had to complete and do? What did they have to do? Go see the priest. Okay. 
Now, I mean, you don't want us to go dip in a river. You don't want us to roll on the ground. You don't want us to call down fire from heaven. You don't want us to offer a sacrifice. You don't want us to pray for 48 hours. You don't, no. Go offer yourself. So they, they started off going towards the priest. Go show yourself to the priest. They went. They obeyed what Jesus had told them. See, obedience brings about an expectation. If I said, stand up, okay, well, the pastor said, stand up, we'd stand up. Well, why? Well, well, he told me to, and, you know, he's somewhat sane. And uh, (laughs) you got to pay attention now. Somewhat sane. That he has some expectation or something he wants to do, so there is an expectation in our prayer. Every, every, time, every time we do something, there's an expectation, or you wouldn't do it. Think about something you, you perform without an expectation. How many of you ever cooked something expecting it to be terrible? Okay, that's Jose. Uh, but anyhow, <laughs> I've done that. But if you really think it's going to be terrible, you won't cook it. You're just going to let it go. I'm not cooking that. Why? Because my expectation is nobody likes it, and neither do I, so I'm not cooking it. So if you don't have a positive expectation, most of the time you don't do it. And if we do go after a task, believing that it's going to be wrong and terrible, it generally is. <laughs> I knew it was going to be bad, but I had to do it anyhow, because so-and-so told me I had to do it. Hmm. See the challenge? So sow yourself to the sow yourself to the, show yourself to the priest. They went, they did, and this was their great accomplishment. You see, God is not complicated, and faith is simple. It's our misconceptions that get in the way of our understanding and the simplicity of our faith. I mean, we can spend a lifetime and be the most learned person on the planet and not figure out God and not figure out and understand God completely because you're not going to do it. But yet God is not complicated. Nor is faith. Faith is just simple. That it is a response. And we, we have it every day. We, we act in faith every day. How many times do you turn on the light? Oh my gosh, it works. You just get used to it. Paul, <laughs> Paul had this in Acts chapter 16, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy household. There is this uh, jailer. Paul and Silas are beaten and thrown in jail. And uh, about midnight, they start praising and praying and everything, and an earthquake comes. The doors open and they're all free. Well, the jailer thinks everybody's dead. I mean, everybody's left. And he, he figures he has to kill himself because he's responsible for the people in jail. And if they're gone, he's dead. So he's going to kill himself. And the jailer got a, got a torch out and ran inside, badly shaken. He collapsed in front of Paul and Silas. He led them out of the jail and asked, Sirs, what do I have to do to be saved and, they, and they, uh, to really live? And they said, Put your entire trust in the Master Jesus Then you'll live as you were meant to live, and everyone in your house included. Put your entire trust in the master. See, this is a setting in which someone has an expectation 
that he's, you know, intentionally grounded here and he's going to die. That he's dropped the ball and he's going to die. Well, faith was simple, belief. The sad thing here in the story of the ten lepers, verse uh, 14, they went and while they, were on they were, while they were on their way, they became clean. All ten. Their leprosy was gone. One of them, when he realized that he was healed, turned around and came back, shouting his gratitude, glorifying God. He kneeled at Jesus' feet, so grateful. He couldn't thank him enough. And he, said, and he was a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans were kind of the despised people of the Jews. And Jesus said, were there not ten healed? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? You see, the nine had the wrong thinking, the wrong assumptions. First of all, they didn't deserve this sickness in the first place. God should have taken this from them a lot sooner than he did. And you see where entitlement takes us? <laughs> entitlement says, I deserved better than this, and I finally got what I deserved, and we take it and we go on with it. It's almost like, well, it should have happened a long time ago. And, you know, I, I did what I was supposed to do, and I got, what, I got the reward for it, and I'm going. You know, we talked about seed, <laughs> and, and I said about how that you plant seed, and you get a reward. And I said, well, Bob uh, planted one seed, and he got how many tomatoes? He got 41 tomatoes off of one tomato plant. That's pretty good. But Bob didn't do the work. Well, he did do the work. He planted the seed, planted the plant, came from one seed, and he got 41 tomatoes. If he had taken those 41 tomatoes, taken all the seeds out of them, provided it wasn't a hybrid, uh, <laughs> and planted those 41 seeds, and planted all the seeds from those 41 tomatoes, how many tomatoes would he have gotten? So you see, faith has a reward. It causes us to plant and causes something to happen from that seed. There's a lot taken from it. And what happens here is that the, the, the nine take their seed, say, wow, I'm clean, and they walk away. We're not ten healed, where are the nine? Ungratefulness. Ungratefulness. Ingratitude. A compliment left unsaid is a wasted thought. You have the ability to make people happy. You have the ability to plant seed in people's lives. To be the encourager, to be the helper. Well, you know, Pastor, we couldn't eat this because we don't know if it's chicken or it's groundhog, but we think you should eat it. <laughs> I'm only going to give you what I can't stand. <laughs> so, here. No. Give away things that are good, that are true, that are lovely, that are of a good report. Give them, plant them in people's lives. Because it'll grow things. Where are the nine? Where are the nine? We don't want to be part of the nine. 
You see, we have accountability. We have accountability for our thoughts and for our actions. Look at what we have. And we can, we can look at this. And we can be prejudiced about it. And, and we can say, this is all mine and I deserve it. And it's the wrong assumption. The life is about me and my and mine. Cannot, can none be found to come back and glorify God except the outsider? His very own people walked away with what they wanted, but they did not know there was more to be had. You see, there was more to the healing than just being cleansed from their leprosy. The Samaritan turned around and came back, shouting his gratitude, glorifying God. He kneeled at Jesus' feet so grateful he could not thank him enough, and he was a Samaritan. He made to make sure that the outside of us is, as, is a good reflection of the inside of us. <laughs> to make sure that the outside of us is a good reflection of the inside of us. The, he was changed inside by what happened to him outwardly. Giving thanks to God is our privilege, and it's our responsibility to be thankful to God. You know, be happy. Not because everything goes well, but because God is with us in everything. God is with me in everything. To turn back and to look to God and it was, um, <laughs> was the great privilege of all ten. But only one made themselves of that opportunity. Only one of them made themselves of that opportunity. And this is the challenge that is there for each of us. That to turn and to look to God who has provided for our lives declares outwardly our inward change. And this is where we are to be thankful. We're to be thankful people. You know, when we sing our choruses and stuff and, and sing the songs, it's to be something that brings out the joy inside of us because it speaks so much of what God has done for us. It presents to us so much of how God has brought us to a different place in our life. He fell at his feet. He fell at his feet. And Christ's favor was bestowed upon him. The rest of them, they had their cure. But the Samaritan was made whole. And this is what God wants to do in each of our lives. It's what he did for the Samaritan. Is that the rest of them had their healing. They, they didn't have their leprosy, but the power of Christ was alive inside of them. There was a completeness in this leper. And that's where we are at. There is a completeness inside of us. You see, Job, his crisis was he lost everything. But he knew God and he was eventually restored and his ideas of God and his understanding of God were correct. The jailer at the earthquake, the doors were open and he was afraid that his life was over. But his life had just begun because he found that Paul and Silas were there to give him the message of Jesus Christ. The lepers, all ten were sick. Ten were healed. But one was restored. 
And that's the completeness of what God wants to do in our life. It is the completeness that is inside of us. And now we are one with God, that God has done this work inside of us and challenged us and changed us from who we were to who he wants us to be. And that's the great thing about coming back to God, worshiping God, and thanking him for all the good things he has done in our life. That's why praise is part of who we are. It changes us. It's a reflection of what's on the inside. Shall we stand? <laughs> Amen. Father, we are so privileged to be your children. God, we are so privileged to be your children that we, have, we are made complete in you. The circumstances don't dictate to us our lives. Our faith does. Let us not drop the ball. Let us not intentionally ground ourselves. Intentionally ground ourselves to something that is not really true. The truth of the matter is we are grounded in Christ. We are restored to the place, the place where God can walk with us and talk with us and we are his children. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our ingratitude. Forgive us, O oh Lord, of our thinking so much about ourselves that we don't see your hand upon us and that we do not return to you to give thanks of all the good things that you have done. I ask your blessing now upon us, upon each of your children, upon the things, O oh God, that are about us, the decisions that are made. God, you are there. Guide us in our choices. Guide us in our attitudes. Guide us, O oh Lord, that we might become that person of that man, that woman of God. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.